If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Tom Morrison, CEO of the Metal Treating Institute as part of our ongoing series of interviews with C-level association leaders. But before we turn to that conversation with Tom, we want to make sure to highlight our annual Leading Learning Symposium, an event designed specifically for senior leaders at organizations in the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development. The symposium takes place this year on October 24th and 25th in Baltimore, and we already have a great group coming together for it to find out what the symposium is all about and to see the great things that last year's attendees had to say about it, you can visit the event website at symposium.leadinglearning.com. We'd also like to thank YM Learning, part of the Your Membership family for being the executive sponsor of the event and for helping to make it possible. You can find out more about YM Learning at leadinglearning.com slash YM. Now, Jeff, you had the chance to talk with Tom Morrison. He's a leader who's very active in the association sector, and he's really made learning a central part of his organization's value proposition. That's right. Tom is the CEO of the uh, Metal Treating Institute, but he's really so much more than that. He's a, a very dynamic, forward-thinking leader. He speaks quite a bit. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, a number of the, the folks listening to this podcast have encountered Tom before in, in his speaking. He's out there quite a bit, very involved in the sector. And you know, I was interested in particular in what he has done with online education at uh, MTI. I mean, they've d- they do a lot with education, and we talk about that uh, during the podcast. But he's been very successful, and particularly with on-demand e-learning, when a lot of organizations have struggled with that. So, you know, we we talk about why that is. You know, why he's been successful, the the, the do's and don'ts, um, and how MTI has leveraged certificates as part of the uh, the demand driver for their e-learning. And then, of course, you know. Tom is a leader. He's got a broad perspective. So we talk about you know the broader learning landscape and how associations need to uh, evolve to capitalize on, on the opportunity that's out there right now. So you know anybody who knows Tom knows that this is going to be an interesting conversation, and, and, and it is definitely. Well, great. Let's go and have a listen. This is Jeff Cobb with the Leading Learning Podcast, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Tom Morrison of the Metal Treating Institute, or MTI. Tom, welcome to the show. Jeff, thank you for having me today. Glad to be here. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you because I know you're somebody who's always up to interesting and innovative things. And uh, before we dive into some of those interesting and innovative things, I know you can probably tell folks much better than I can what is MTI? What do you do? Who do you serve? Um, you know, and, and uh, just kind of fill in those blanks for us. Well, thank you, Jeff. Well, Metal Treating Institute is a uh, organization been around typical 501c6 nonprofit, been around since 1933, and our members are what are called commercial heat treaters. And heat treating is a scientific process, very technical oriented, but a scientific process where you heat, cool, and dry metal of all types: um, aluminum, titanium, steel iron in a process 
that allows it to give it structural strength, flexibility, and longevity. So a couple of quick examples is the gears in your car that go like this. If they didn't heat treat just the last quarter inch of threads in the gears, when a car started up and it went like this, the metal would absolutely shatter. So your car goes nowhere. Right. Um, um, the gears in planes, parts in planes, landing gear, if those aren't heat treated correctly, they break in the midst of flight. So it's, it's a very high intense uh, thing that we do, and there's uh, intense standards that go with it because you've got to do it at a high level. Otherwise, what I always say is cars go through stop signs, planes fall out of skies, and the mm. dental drill bit that goes into your mouth every time you go to the dentist, it will shatter the moment it hits your teeth. So very important process, and we probably touch every human's life every single day in some capacity. That definitely brings home the uh, the importance of it very strongly. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, I know one of the reasons that um, I wanted to talk with you. You, know, you talked about talk about the the, the high impact um, that the that the field can have, that the industry can have, uh, based on the work that it does. And I know that in order for people to be up to speed to uh, you know deliver on what you just talked about, training is important, education is important. Um, and I know specifically, I want to talk about all your, your, your training and education. That's uh, you know, obviously one of the, the reasons for this podcast. But uh, I know MTI in, in particular has been successful with what it's doing online, with, with online education. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and we meet organization after organization. In fact, it's usually one of the reasons they call us in the first place that uh, are trying to do online, um, maybe have some success with webinars, but overall just are, are not getting the success with online education that they were looking for. So... Tell us a little bit about what you're doing with, uh, with e-learning and, you know, what's made it successful for you. Well, in 2005, when I got hired at MTI, it's my third trade, third association as CEO. And when I got hired as the CEO in waiting, they challenged me. Very first thing was they had these five courses between 80, 18 to 56 pages of course text, five modules. And they said, Tom, we want to get these babies online and start trying to earn some income and get mass appeal to them as opposed to trying to just teach them in our CD version that we send out and they're taught by the owner or their metallurgist in-house. We want people to be able to um, learn at will at their own self-pace. So I did my research. We landed a good LMS system at the time. It was phenomenal. Their pricing structure allowed us to do corporate memberships Mm. instead of doing it piece by piece. And so I, uh, I turned those five courses into an on, and it was great because it was point and click. I had literally all five courses up online within two weeks, and we started generating money like ASAP. Wow. And so it was pretty, pretty good stuff. And what I loved about it, though, was that we went from being zero dollars and zero people doing online learning to um, we very quickly, the first four months, we did $16,000 in corporate memberships. And we've gone, our, our revenues have now gone from 16 grand to over 120 grand a year now in online revenue with about 400 to 500 classes being taken every single month. And we spend maybe, maybe two man hours on that, on that system every single month. It runs itself. I mean, it is a money making machine now. Wow. Um, and there, and there's some strategies that I'm sure you're going to ask me about, uh, that we're going to go through, but I mean, it's, it's, it's created when people say, what's the value of MTI? Um, to keep planes in the air and to keep these cars going, to keep things at those high standards, training is huge. Mm-hmm. And so we, we've slid in with now the leading uh, training modules for the industry for all those things. And and you're right. I would like to ask you about uh, kind of the strategy, strategies and tactics that, that made that possible. Uh, I mean, do, do, do people in your industry um, have to take training? I mean, is there a, a requirement that, that they participate in a certain amount of uh, training annually? 
Well, like a lot of industries like the doctors and the attorneys and accountants where they have actually continuing mandated CEs, Mm -hmm. MTI, the heat treating industry doesn't have a mandated set of CEs. All they have uh, a requirement of is that you have a training mechanism and program in place that's quantifiable. Um, And it's not, there's no credentialing or anything behind it, but they just want to make sure that you have a avid ongoing level of high quality training uh, going on in your, in your company. And so MTI has worked with the auditing bodies to show them that ours meets those high level of standards. And so it's become known now as an industry. And, and the one thing that I will say, we had a technical society that already had some of the types of training that we do, but we handled the strategy a little bit differently that caused us to be able to see great success within our framework and get the activity that we've got going on. So there's no requirement of particular courses but there is a requirement that you have a, a good training strategy in your organization. And, and so what was your strategy that, that beat out that other organization? Was that you know, going to, to sell to companies, or, or how, how did you manage to edge them out? The two things that will generate all success in your program, as far as I'm concerned, are certificate programs, mm. paying attention to the younger generation who's been built by their mindset of video games throughout their life, that they want to achieve different levels of stuff. So we started out and we created the Qualified Furnace Operator Certificate, which is simply five courses, about 12 hours of training with testing and modules and stuff, and they reach that. They can do that in probably a couple of weeks, and so that gets them the Qualified Furnace Operator. They take five more courses uh, in different areas, and they become a heat treat technical specialist. Then from there, you've got the majority of what you have, but then you can actually go, you can take about another 20 courses over time and then achieve our largest certificate, which is our heat treat technicals, I mean, our heat treat specialist, that's our largest one. And if you are someone that looks good to manage people, you can go and take our 12 hours of management training, get your heat treat, heat treating management specialist certificate as well. So they all build on one another, which is Mm. what the younger generation likes. The older generation is loving it too, because they can take them in small increments as they have time. Right. So, so building yours in modules. um, The reason I mentioned the certificate element is think of the CAE. None of us in the association will ever go out and say, hey, I'm going to go out and find me a course on membership engagement. Right. We'll never do that. We don't look for it in non-dues revenue. But what we do do is say, you know what? I want to go get my CMP or I want to get my CA. So people don't buy education. They buy accomplishments. Hmm. And so we have structured all of our um, strategy around helping people find certificates of accomplishments that they want to buy. And ours has become the industry standard. The second big thing that you have to – that's the success ratio in online learning – is your cost strategy. There's Mm. two ways to cost out your online training. You can either, what I say, suck as much revenue from your attendee online as possible, or you can own the marketplace and get market penetration. Because our cost basis was so low in our LMS, we were able to um, drive revenue at high levels by um, basically owning the marketplace and getting penetration by having a much lower cost basis for our revenue. Our right. right. And, and so really a, a market penetration um, strategy there, which it sounds like it was very smart in, in, uh, in your particular situation. I mean, what if you, and, and maybe you're starting to experience this. I know a lot of organizations, um, they, they have a lot of competition. They're not really going to be able to necessarily penetrate and take over the, the market. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to compete day to day. I mean, are you seeing more competition now and in, 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 in anticipation of more competition? What do you feel you need to do strategically? Strategically, we're continuing to build uh, training programs that meet the needs of the members. We're right now in the midst of refurbishing or repurposing about 40 hours. It's actually about 40 hours of video content and text and PowerPoints. 
And then we're getting members to help develop eight more courses. And we're making this kind of mini associate's degree program called the, um, the apprenticeship program. It goes back to your age-old apprenticeship programs and a lot of the trades. And so we're, re- we're making our online apprenticeship program that actually has case studies. So you get on-the-job training along the way. So you get on-the-job training, knowledge transfer, um, and you come in and it keeps someone at that place for about 18 to 24 months and they stay there. So we're continuing to bob and weave and um, be agile with the industry to get the, the training they need as well as build uh, certificate-type programs that would be meaningful to them. Because most everybody in our world just simply gives um, – they simply have coursework. No one really offers certificates. We're the first one that came out in our industry that actually gave certificates of accomplishment. And that has been a big win because um, what we love – is our system, uh, it allows a, a, an owner or a, a, someone in their company who has uh, the authority to do so to print out a report of all their employees and all their credit hours. Mm-hmm. And any, anybody over certain credit hours has the certificate. So one of the best practices is, and I've seen it taken a picture of and sent to me, is someone will print out all the employees and said, hey, Joe and Jim, great job accomplishing your HTS certificate. Who's going to be next? Question mark. Mm-hmm. And they post that on the job board. So it creates that competitive environment that everybody kind of likes these days. They like to compete. People that, you know, our members are people that uh, accomplish their certificate, get a 50 cent raise per hour or a dollar raise per hour. They're getting rewarded for the, uh, the culture of training inside their marketplace. Yeah, it sounds like you're, you've really managed to play well in that kind of natural human competitive element. So, I mean, even though you're not, I don't think anybody would describe this as sort of the, you know, fancy gamified type learning, but there is that sort of gamified uh, type, of, type approach uh, underlying yeah. it, really. That's excellent. And, and you mentioned, you know, building out what, what you characterize as almost like an associate's degree. So that made me wonder, I mean, have you established any sort of relationships with, you know, community colleges, technical schools, uh, those sorts of programs as, as a way of, you know, kind of expanding your base? and submitting your position even more? We have not. And I guess as, as we get this program built out, we may. We have had some people tell us that our content is really good. And what they have told us is they would like to get this approved for so many credit hours in their engineering degree. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. In the world of engineering, no one ever gets taught heat treating. And what a big market for us, the reason we created the heat treat technical specialist certificate, it's only 10 courses, 17 hours of learning, is... If you're with Boeing or a, uh, a Chrysler or some big organization, and they all heat treat parts in their companies in a division, well, you get hired as the, me- the mechanical or civil engineer in that company, and they say, oh, by the way, we're going to let you take over the heat treat division. Well, that person wasn't – that engineer was not necessarily taught metallurgy and heat treating in their coursework of their classes. Right. So our, our customers who were dealing with them heat treating a lot of their outsourced stuff said, Tom – we need a set of courses that can bridge the gap and teach them what heat treating is so they actually are a more informed customer for us. And I, so we, create, we took – this is about repurposing current content you have. We took 10 courses that we felt were the good basis of um, understanding what heat treaters do, and we combined them to make the heat treat technical specialist certificate and launched it. And it took about 30 days to do that. We just repackaged 10 courses and put it online and boom, started marketing it. And selling it for four hundred ninety-five dollars a piece, and voila, we get we those things are ordered regularly. And I've actually literally had some uh, some uh, heat treating executives at major organizations say, "Tom, we're so glad we tapped into this coursework because it helped us pass our audit. It helped us understand mm-hmm. what we need to do to pass our audits and stuff with training." So you know, so, so it's not it's not a it's not a rocket science thing. It's just a matter of creating the certificate programs that are going to have value and meaning to your members 
and at a price level that makes them say, no-brainer. Right, right. And so to, to continue on that, you, you've talked a lot about, you know, the, the right things to do or the, at least the things that were, you know, the, the right things to do in your particular situation. Um, I imagine because you've been successful, you do, you do get asked a lot by, by peers at other organizations, you know, how, how do you go about this, Tom? How do you make something like this work? Uh, I mean, what are the major, um, and maybe focus more on the don'ts since you've already given a lot on the do's, but if you have any more do's, uh, certainly as well. But uh, what kind of advice do you give leaders at, at other organizations that are trying to make e-learning work you know the key is to find out what is what is going to be that what is your owners what are the companies you represent or if you're a society what does your members want what do they need to know to be successful Mm. what's the base level then what's a 2.0 level and then what's a 3.0 level so once you have those outlined what do you have in terms of uh um what i'd say don't do is don't run out and create content like crazy First thing you need to do is figure out what content do we have, whether it's uh, things we've already videotaped at conferences. Maybe we got some course text. we got some old documents we can convert. Mm-hmm. But finalize out what the 102020 and 3.0 levels of content are and create certificates that are meaningful. For a society, it might make – I'll give you a short example. Um, in, in, in Florida, we have the Florida Society of Association Executives. We were sitting around one day at a board meeting. And in a strategic planning, and one of our board members, and I had been trying to push online learning onto FSAE for about four years at this point. One of the people said, "You know what? We really need in this in this organization in this industry is we need a staff level CAE. Hmm. There's tons of staff people in an organization and association that have no desire to be a CEO, but they don't need to get their CAE. They just want to be the the membership assistant or the director of communications. Right. And 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 there's no C. There's no CAE staff level kind of element. And I immediately got them to see the vision in that. And we created the qualified association specialists. I got a money appropriated. We created a 13 module course called the qualified association specialists. And now you can go out to associationspecialist.org and check it out. It's now being taken all over the country by association executives administered by the FSAE. But, and, and what it does though is when someone walks into my office and they put on their resume that they've passed the association specialist certificate, it helps me know that there's a whole lot of questions I don't need to ask them because they already know what membership is. They already know what non-dues revenue is. So it's got credibility in the workplace too. And so that's another element to be, um, to be thinking through. What is going to make your members more credible in the work environment and make them more marketable? Right. Right. And so we've, we've talked a good bit about what you're doing with um, online uh, education. Uh, I mean, w- w- what other ways are you either providing education in a, you know, in a, in a formal way or um, even less formally just helping to you know, kind of promote learning, grow the knowledge uh, within the industry that you serve? Well, you know, one of the funny things is everybody jumps into webinars. And we've done two webinars, and it's only because oh, really? we had it. We only had a tax change that came along, and there was one other element that we needed to do a webinar on. Because every time I go to do a webinar, I'm like, why do I want to go through the effort of building a webinar to have everybody, to have 500 people register and 100 show up, and they're not even paying attention because they're just listening and they're doing something else? I'm like, why would I do that when I can get a a speaker to create the course and we upload it on our online learning site and email it out, and people take it whenever they want? Right. You know, so, so we've not done the webinar thing. What, what doing online technical training has done for us is it's allowed us to focus, because we represent companies, and what it's allowed us to do in the future when we started in 2005, our meetings, our local chapter meetings, we've got seven chapters, and we do probably four, five chapter meetings where there's enough density to get attendance. It allowed us to focus our chapter meetings 
and our national meetings on leadership and building high-performing teams in this highly competitive marketplace. Hmm, interesting. You know, a lot of our technical content would filter its way through those meetings, but now we didn't need that because that was all being done online. So now we can really focus our efforts to help our members be stronger from a business standpoint because if the business isn't successful, nothing you know technically makes a difference. That, that's, that's really interesting. I think that's one of the first examples I've heard of someone saying that uh, by doing uh, the sorts of things that you're doing, the more technical work online, you really have been able to, to free up a different level of engagement uh, in other venues. Um, I, I did also notice, um, you know, as I was looking over the MTI site uh, before doing the, this interview, a couple things going on there. One is you seem to make a lot of use of video, not just in training, but just in in general. That seems to be something you're really vested in. And mm-hmm. and if I'm correct, you've actually built your website on a community platform. Um, can you tell me how 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 community and how video are, are factoring into how you're engaging with your with your membership base? Video started in 2009 and become a huge item for us because I, as the new exec, I replaced a guy in 2008 that had been here 31 years. I mean, that's like replacing Bear Bryant. You know, <laughs> everybody loves that person. And so the new guy has to ha- somehow has to build trust, passion, and care within the minds of every single person that's, that's looking at them. And I knew I couldn't do that in a letter. You get a letter, you read three sentences, and mm. you throw it out. And so everybody's looking at what is the next guy going to do? Unfortunately, I had a two-year run um, where I was the CEO in waiting, and then the, and then Lance, you know, retired on. But what it, what video gave me to do is the same thing that we're doing right here. It gave people in our membership a chance to hear Tom's passion, how much he cares that he's you know he's he's a fairly he hopefully he's a fairly intelligent guy, and and he's going and he really works at the high levels to make sure that we get what we want as members. So. I, it was my way. We created what was called MTI TV segments, which were five-minute segments. Sometimes it was all me. Sometimes I'd be interviewing members doing exactly what we're doing here. And, but what it did, it did, it helped me like TV did. It helped me shake hands with every member, every single – I did it probably every other week. And we still do them, but probably once a month. But video plays a huge role. Every meeting has a promo video. Every meeting has a highlight video. Because people don't act in associations on things because they don't know what they don't know. Mm. We, when you, read, when you read a letter of all the, the bullet point of all the things that happened in a meeting, you can't get emotionally attached to that meeting. But, man, when I'm watching a video and the music's there, think about when you go to a movie theater. I, people laugh when I tell them, they go, where do you get your marketing ideas from? I get them from three areas. I watch NASCAR because they have more brand awareness than anybody. Yeah, that's a good point. I watch, I watch WWE wrestling because they bring out emotion in people like nobody else. And I watch movie trailers. I go early and I watch the movie trailers because they make you want to come back. Those are the three things we want in associations. So we, all of our videos um, that are highlight videos and stuff, they all encompass music, um, messaging, and testimonies um, to really get people to emotionally attach to who we are. Mm. And so far, it's been good. And we, we branded uh, in 2009, we started doing videos. We branded the phrase, you're not just strong, you're MTI strong. I, I saw your video on that. We're going we're gonna to have to include that in the show notes to this episode. So, so folks mm-hmm. will be sure to see that. <laughs> right. So yeah, so, so that's how videos played. We, I knew video was my way of getting into people's hearts in an in a association that had members in 40 states and six countries when I can't see them all the time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. 
and I mean, I think you're you're pointing the way, uh, you know, with a lot of what you're doing here. But um, I, I did want to ask explicitly: you're somebody who's very involved in the association sector, not just in mm-hmm. your you know particular field. And you mentioned already uh, working with the Florida Society of Association Executives. I mean, from your perspective, and and particularly with the 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 area of learning and, and education in mind. How do how do associations need to be evolving at this point? Associations. I've got a a great new visual that I have developed, and it's a triangle. And in my opinion, this this there's two things that um, associations need to do for the future. There's two visuals specifically. One visual, it's when I do my presentation, is a radar screen that you would see in a submarine or a, or an aircraft carrier mm-hmm. or whatever. And there's little dots on there. There are. Um, threats coming their way in the world of disruption. The disruption is this big thing we've been talking about, but there are threats. Some of them are demographic changes. Some of them are consumer buying trends. Some of them are technology shifts and developments. Those are out there, and people aren't paying attention to them. So it's imperative they have a radar screen that they're looking at every meeting and asking the question, is there something that's outside the radar screen that could appear in the radar screen very quickly, and it could totally disrupt and dismantle how we get to do business? They need to be doing that. Um, the other thing they need to be doing is this model that I talk about that I did. It's a triangle, and in the center, it's, it's, it's member-focused. A lot of associations are strategic-focused. Well, the bottom half of your membership could care less about your, strat- your business strat- your strategic plan. They want to know, what are you doing for me that I can't do for myself that's helping me be better and making me more competitive? So I think associations in the future need to be member-focused, especially with a younger generation that's about what's in it for me. And, in the, and around the three parts of that triangle are you need to maximize your member value. If you maximize value and it's things that are meaningful and hit at the heart of doing business in your industry, people are going to want to be a part of it. Once they're a part of it, the third element over here is engagement. You maximize their engagement. When you maximize engagement, it solves everything. When members are engaged, they volunteer easily. They buy stuff so your financials look good. And they come to meetings because they're great. So engagement is – and the third thing over here on the left – which is the biggest part of it, is the wow factor. Mm. People, because of imaging, YouTube, video games, they don't want to be bored. They want to be engaged in something that makes them go, wow, I can't believe I just saw that. And if you're an association that hasn't had much wow factor, just doing a little wow factor will totally impress your members. (laughs) And uh, I mean, I had members, um, because we have a video team that does a lot of our videos. I do some. We've had members say, man, when I watch your videos, I am totally motivated, and I'm just proud to be a member of this group. So to me, that's what associations have to do in the future. They have to watch their radar screen like a hawk. They have to be member-focused and focus on those three things that go around that with the singular focus of many associations are still doing things that members can get for free on the Internet. Mm. You to wipe that slate clean, and they need to quit making their value proposition about government relations and coming to meetings because 60% of our members don't ever come to a meeting and could care less about government politics. So what, what's their value proposition? We actually developed our value proposition with those things off the table. And now our value proposition is if you don't come to meetings and government relations isn't in your big deal, our, that, that value proposition is still high. So we've maxed the value, members are engaged, and we do everything with Wow Factor at MTI. Well, word, words of wisdom that I hope uh, listeners will take into to account. And I mean, how about you yourself? You're, you're motivating others. Um, you know, what, what motivates you to keep, uh, keep up the, the, the learning that you need to, to stay mm-hmm. on top of uh, the, the profession? Now, what do you do for your own lifelong learning? 
Well, you know, there's a couple things. One is, um, you know, I'm, I'm an active member of FSAE and I'm an active member of ASAE and I go to all their annual conferences. Uh, I go to meet and greets and, you know, now the last couple of years, I've now been speaking very heavily to associations around the country. And that's one of the ways that helps keep me on target, man. When I go to any association, I've got a couple of sessions that I've been getting into a lot of annual conferences to talk about called, um, if it's member focused, it's how to get members to scream your name and beg for more. Mm. And the other one is on disruption called what's your Uber understanding your disruption. And with between the two of those, I have to study constantly to make sure that those things are right on the cusp of the latest information and trends with, with changing associations and changing industries. And, uh, there isn't an industry out there that is, that is exempt from disruption happening in their marketplace. There are trends that I show people that aren't technology or demographic trends. It's just consumer buying habits. The element of routine rental, renting toys, renting cars, Airbnb, that has a dramatic effect on everybody, and it didn't even have to take any technology in the industry. It was just people decided to rent stuff instead of buy it. So that has a dramatic impact on every industry out there. So, So, yeah, my learning comes from active involvement in associations as well as speaking as keynotes at conferences to, you know, just keep people on the cusp of it. And that's my passion. I've been doing this 20 years, Jeff. And, you know, I love to see people stay ahead of the curve. And I have this new saying now that's, um, if you stay behind, you will be left behind. Yeah. Yeah. And I can definitely, uh, uh, understand you know the whole idea of uh, needing to stay on top of something to to teach it i feel like that's something that fuels a lot of uh, my own lifelong learning uh being able to teach something is often one of the the biggest catalysts for learning right. so well great well, well tom I, I really appreciate your taking some time to to talk today as we're um signing off here can you let folks who are listening know how to find mti and if you're open to it how to how to find and connect with you yeah, if you uh, want to know what heat treating is all about, you know, you can go to metal treat. Uh, you actually go to heattreat.net. That's H E A T T R E A T, heattreat.net. You can learn about MTI. If you want to connect with me on bringing me to your conference and stuff or doing a strategic session with your board or leadership, you can go to my website at tommorson.biz. That's tommorson.biz. And all my information, including promo videos, I use video a lot to, to show people what we do, but um, uh, TomMorrison.biz, you can see everything out there about that and look forward to connecting with anybody through this pod. Well, great, Tom. Thanks so much for, for taking the time. Yeah, thank you very much. Glad to be here. That wraps up our interview with Tom Morrison. As we're exiting, we'll mention our fall event again, the Leading Learning Symposium. To get information about that, you can go to symposium.leadinglearning.com. And again, thanks to your membership and YM Learning for being the executive sponsor for the symposium. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com forward slash episode 37. And while you're there, you will see the many options we have for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of the podcast, we would really be grateful if you would subscribe. We would also be grateful if you'd take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, you go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really appreciate that. It does make a big difference in helping others to find the podcast. And finally, please consider telling others about the podcast. If you've been enjoying it, if you've been getting value out of it, you can send out a tweet, for example, simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. Or if tweeting isn't your way to communicate out with the world, just pick another one of your social networks of preference and put the good word out there about the podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.